0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here today with Nick Osborne. Nick, hey, how are you?
1: I am very good. Thank you, Sanjay. How are you doing? I'm
0: great. I'm great. Thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, so a little bit about uh, Nick. Uh, Nick's got uh, around uh, a decade in recruitment, uh, in tech recruitment. Uh, his last job was at uh, YLD, a really famous um uh, top-tier British uh, boutique consultancy that's done really uh, amazing things for such a small uh, company, founded by Nuno Job, of course, who was instrumental in the um, development of uh, Node in the early days. And he's now at uh, Payment Sense, one of uh, Europe's uh, fastest-growing uh, fintechs. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, the best ways to hire and some of the best ways to get hired. Maybe um, you could start off uh, with uh, telling me a little bit about YLD.
1: I mean, what was that like? So, so I joined, I think, like most agency recruiters I never really dreamt of going internal I always thought agency was the way for me this is you know what I was born to do and then I was having a conversation with some of the team at YLD and it was obvious that they were going to go through this hypergrowth. and with any amount of hypergrowth, you're going to have some problems and there's going to be lots of challenges along the way and I thought this is the type of role that I really want to get into
0: let's move on to payment sense so this is a really uh, interesting company um, what can you tell me about uh, what you're doing there
1: not a huge amount. Um, so we've got, we've, got, we've got payment sense, which is a, a merchant acquiring services company. Ultimately, so, so we work with SMEs to to enable them to take card payments. To, to a lot of people, it doesn't sound that glamorous or like it would be leading, you know, from the front in terms of engineering and sort of product design, etc. But we've got Dojo, which is, which is a new product, which is ultimately trying to move away from that sort of B2B and more into B2C in a sense of how we've built it and ultimately why we're building a product. I think often B2B products, from an engineering perspective, maybe they're not perfect. Um, likewise, from a product design perspective, um, we're really trying to grab a B2C mindset and put that in a B2B product to help the sort of 85,000 customers that we've got using our products and services
0: uh, let's 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 now move on to the best way for companies to hire people um, i want to just really throw the gates wide open here um, first before we sort of drill down yeah
1: yeah uh, i think again it depends upon the organization there are some who are very much happy to have a one stage telephone interview ask a couple of technical questions and then say yes you are suitable or not suitable which I think there's pros and cons to that. And then you've got the polar opposite, which is sort of the Amazon processes, etc., where you've got eight stages. Um a company like Amazon or Google or Facebook can get away with that because they have that brand. I think most organizations you have to be very realistic and ultimately not have an ego because people typically won't jump through four, five, six hoops for you. So it really depends upon the type of role um and the type of organization that you are. I think Any process should be a living, breathing animal ultimately in a sense of you should constantly look at it. You should constantly nurture it. What you should also have is sort of the regular touch points with the engineering team or, you know, for me, it's typically the engineering team. And work out, you know, what's working, what's not working. Um, For example, you know, if there's a take-home challenge, what's the pass-fail rate of the take-home challenge? If it's really high, uh, you know, in terms of failure rate, it is the challenge being too strict are to we reviewing in a way which isn't actually allowing engineers to show, you know, ultimately their potential. So it's constantly looking at a process. Too many companies will go, right, here's our process. And this is going to be the process until the CTO leaves, because this is how they want to do it. And it's just only by analyzing the data and really trying to figure out, you know, the quality of hire as much as anything. To so then you look at the process and see, is this fit for purpose? Where do we need to improve it? Do we need another stage? Do we need to take a stage out? Because actually it's taken way too long.
0: I know you've been um, involved in a lot of um, improvements, uh, hiring process improvements at the companies that you have worked for. Yes. Um,
1: can you give me a sense of
0: like where you're at now?
1: Yeah, so like with any company going through through hypergrowth, what used to work when you were hiring a handful of engineers may be absolutely fine. It's only when you are putting a lot of people through the process, do you start really to figure out where the wheels are starting to sort of, you know, shake a little bit. And it's only being very proactive and will you ultimately as a company, you need to accept that you will make some bad hires no matter what your process is. Likewise, it's inevitable you will ultimately reject some good candidates. Your process will never, you know, out and out only allow you to hire good engineers and reject bad engineers. So it's been very proactive and looking at the data. And like I said, it is a constant growing animal ultimately. So we've recently had some engineers join from sort of Apple and Facebook and Microsoft. So their mindset, how they want to recruit. But also, their experiences are very different to some of the existing engineers. So, we actually had a discussion yesterday, just over an hour, about you know, with these new hires being team leads, how do they want to go about recruitment? Um, You know, what are they ultimately going to look for? And then we started to build out uh, a process for these particular units because some of them, some of their engineering stacks are slightly different. So, they don't have to fit or they won't fit into the existing ways of working, so it's really trying to figure out sometimes, you know, team by team, what's going to work, what's, you know, what won't work and then building a process as much as you can. You want to have a solid foundation so that you can have that North star in terms of everyone's going to follow at least this type of process. There could be one or two deviations down to X, Y, or Z, but it's a constant battle ultimately. And what i always want to do is try to change things you know very minor things just to see whether it has a positive or negative impact ultimately typically the candidate won't notice any difference Um, what we don't want to do is overnight change something and then it means they're set up for for failure ultimately or likewise that it just means that they're going to be an automatic hire so it's constantly tweaking it almost like a, a product um you know, that's how I try to see the recruitment, pro- uh, recruitment process. It's a product. You try to add new things. You take things away. Where's the value add? Is this adding value? No, right, we'll take it out. I think too often companies will drastically change your process. And then, it, it you know, it, it's almost set up for failure or success. Um, there's no sort of like in between ultimately. So for me, it's a constant sort of blend of new ways of working how we review a challenge, what the challenge, you know, is, you know, we do multiple challenges. It's trying to make sure that it's constantly evolving as, you know, tech is evolving, but also as the data comes through, we can look at, you know, pass, fail rates. Is this person a good hire? They are what was key throughout their interview process that we picked up on. Okay. This, you know, was this built into the process? No. How can we build this into the process to try to make sure that the future hires align in, in this particular way?
0: You make it sound really interesting. You make me want to be a recruiter, Nick.
1: I think not many people <laughs> Maybe. understand. I don't know if you've got a room uh, for a junior, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think this is it. Not many people understand. I guess the, the true value of an internal recruitment team. Um, if your mindset and you know, I've I know hiring managers I've you know this is both you know more agency. Um, they see you simply as a CV sifting, here's a CV, this is a notice period, this is a salary. If that's how you're going to use uh, you know, either an internal recruiter or an external recruiter, you'll pretty much set yourself up for, for failure. Um, by partnering with the team, you'll get a much, much better process. With a much better process, you'll hopefully hire better candidates. But likewise, what's really key is the candidate experience is, is positive. So if you are rejecting someone, you can give them really clear feedback as to this is what we're looking for. You know, th- these are the areas that we didn't think you, you excelled on, you know, here's some extra learning material around X, Y, or Z, because that's, you know, for, for, for an internal recruiter, it's key that every candidate that comes through the process has a positive experience, even if it's negative. And whenever you ask a candidate who you've hired, how was the process? Typically they're going to say it was good. So the real feedback and the key feedback is from those that you have to say, we're not going to be progressing with your application and asking them, you know, what's the feedback on the take home challenge? How did you feel in the interview? Because that's the only way you're going to learn ultimately from the existing process. Where can we make improvements?
0: I mean, a couple of years ago, you may not even remember this, but for one of your past roles, I actually did a tech test for you. And uh, I I loved that tech test um, because it was so quick. Like you said, it'll probably take about an hour and it did actually take about an hour. And that was like, I thought it was a really good tech test that really showed, you know, my abilities and it was, it was really quick and simple.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's what we're always pushing for, which is I think too, too many organizations they will use the take home challenge as as a can you code or can you not code ultimately what we should do well, ultimately the the take-home challenge should be almost an extension to the screening call with a member of the talent team so we can sort of see whether you know the fundamentals do you follow best practices yes great you know you will you will you're, you're, you're going to be invited in for you know sort of typically 90 minutes or two hours we'll look to extend it do some pairing and that that's ultimately what a good process should be I've I've heard horror stories of People spending eight, ten hours on a take home challenge, and that's not a take home challenge. That's mm-hmm. a day's worth of work. And when it comes to contractors, mm-hmm. rightly so, they're saying, you know, that's that's an entire day rate worth of work there.
0: In the last sort of maybe five or six years, um, DNI uh, di- diversity and inclusivity have become really,
1: really big deals, uh, m- massively. Um, so it, even in my agency days, and this is four four and a half years ago, we'd have hiring managers or, you know, external clients come to us and say, you know, this is what we're trying to achieve. Do you have any ideas? What can we do? And at Wild D, we were very fortunate in a sense of JavaScript, you know, it was we'd partnered with a lot of coding academies, which meant that DNI was something that we could get into really easily because we could support the the coding academies, which gave us access then to You know, a a, a diverse uh, candidate pool ultimately that we could support at Payment Sense. It's similar in a sense of we have a team. We have a core team. They're known as the core team who look at DNI as an organization. And then within the within the people function, we have a a DNI team who look at DNI from a recruitment process. And then we're looking at how we can ultimately um, improve it and just generally our, our ways of working and. It's not just something from the top down. I think often companies say, well, we need to do it for, not for the wrong reasons, but I don't think they see the actual benefits of having a, a diverse workforce and making sure everyone feels in, included when they're actually um, in the organization. So i see sort of top down and bottom up. So everyone wants to, to get involved. Everyone wants to look at how we can support and ultimately break down the barriers to, to entry to, to to engineering predominantly. I think products, so product design, product sort of uh, management, I think that went through that transition a little while ago in terms of getting rid of some of the barriers to entry. So you will look at the workforce and it is a lot more diverse, whereas engineering I think is still on its way there. And for for me, what we need to look at, and I often use football analogies for for things because it's the easiest way for me to sort of, say this is what we should be doing but for, for me we need to be looking at things like uh, from a grassroots perspective how can we get more into the industry um, and then it's is it university is it code academies is it, is it the sort of free code courses that you can do online how can we support here because it's the only go, only way you're really going to increase the the number of people getting into the industry so it's trying to support local initiatives you know more international initiatives where possible, but it's making sure that all the companies have the same mindset of, there's no point turning the tap on thinking, where are the candidates? Because the issues at the well, in terms of candidates getting into the industry, their awareness of what computer science is, what computing is. And for me, you know, we're certainly on the, on the way there. Um, I've seen lots of companies get involved and have lots of positive initiatives, but for it's still a case of making sure that we're reducing the barriers to entry, making sure that we don't have bias in the process, that we have positive action so that we can ultimately support people um, coming through the, the process. I think I, I see it all of the time with, with juniors coming into the industry, companies don't really appreciate how much time and support they need and they'll hire a junior after a couple of months, it won't work out. That juniors absolutely you know distraught and it's not their fault ultimately it's it's the companies' not having the right setup to take juniors on and I think this is the mindset that companies need which is you need to look at it from the well how can we get more into the industry once they're in the industry how can we support them moving forward for, for me it's a long term strategic play versus a Go on LinkedIn. We're just going to change our search so that we don't get X, but we get Y come out of a you know a search ultimately. And sometimes that is that's fine because it's it's classed as positive action. But we need to sort of take one or two steps back ultimately. That that's my personal mindset. I know some you know the great thing about recruitment is everyone has their own opinion um, on how things should be done. I'm not a DNI expert by by any means. But for me, that's what we really need to do is is look at how I can get more into the industry. And then, you know, it's it's internships, it's, you know, working with colleges and just try to make people aware of the the possibilities. Um, Payment Sense, we partner with a local school, and the talent team had a, a sort of day long session with them last week. And we were talking about how to write a CV, how to interview. And then we're talking about um, sort of career opportunities for them and how they could go about these career opportunities. And most of them, rightly so at the age of 16, didn't quite know what they wanted to do um, or ultimately how to go about it. So we were there to try to bridge that gap. But if you think every secondary school is probably in this situation, um, if there was a way to at that point, you know, at school say to people, these are the opportunities that are available to you. This is how you go about them. It then can really start opening that flow um, into the industry. And again, letting people know you don't have to go to university to become a software engineer. You don't have to go to university to do and do computer science to be an engineer. You can, you know, I've spoken with people who have had all sorts of jobs um, and then done a 12 week code and academy course. And after three years have become senior engineers. And I think it's just letting people know there's opportunities to, to get into the the industry ultimately and that there's no set pathway to follow. If you've got passion and you want to do it, there, there will be a company out there, hopefully, who can sort of take that, ultimately the risk and support you further in that development.
0: I, I think you're spot on there with the support part of the picture there.
1: I said this to a, a candidate yesterday who's just completing their master's. So they're, they're interviewing at payment Sense they've got a couple of other interviews at the moment and first sort of break out into the employment world. And he openly asked me, I don't know what I'm doing at the moment, you know, with anything going on, do you have any advice? And I was like, for you at the moment, for the next 12 to 18 months, it's finding the opportunity or the companies that's going to provide you with the most support for the next 12 to 18 months, you want to be a sponge. That's ultimately what your job is. Um, be a sponge, learn from all of the other engineers around you. Yes, um, you know, if it's the right company, if the salary is right, makes life a lot easier, but be a sponge, learn as much as you can. Don't just go with a company that's going to offer you the most money. You need to make sure it's got the right setup around you. And I think the more we look at bringing juniors into the industry, again, the more that will help with with and i ultimately
0: cool so look that was a, a lot of fantastic information there about best ways to hire let's move on uh, very quickly to the best ways to get hired yeah <laughs> um, so so let's 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 start let's start maybe with uh, with the with the cv so like tech as an industry is really quite different right than than almost any other industry you know it's it's there's such high demand so my 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 question is How important is the construction of of a CV as opposed to just the bare bones experience?
1: It it really depends. And I think I I put a tweet out a couple of months ago about this, because I think the the reality is you could have the best CV in the world. It depends upon the person who's reading it and how good they are ultimately in interpreting the CV. So I think one of the key things I'll always say to people is when you are sending your CV into an organization, look at who's likely going to read it. And if it's going to be the hiring manager, so you know a hands-on engineer or someone who potentially was hands-on not that long ago, how your CV is constructed can be very different to how it's constructed for a recruiter. Most recruiters will do control F. Do they have a keyword? So I think, and what you don't want to do, and I think too many candidates fall into this trap of having an eight-page CV and having every single tool they've ever used on there that's not ultimately what what we want to see it's look you know for me personally what I really look at is the past sort of two or three roles depending upon how long that is if it's if you've done three six month contracts then obviously I'll look further back into your into your history but it's it's not just the tools that you've used or the languages or frameworks it's how you've used them ultimately um, and also ulti- you know your, your CV is the shop window. You want to sort of try and make it as as glamorous as possible to, to entice the recruiter to reach out and it's on the screening calls. That's where you you really go into detail about who you are, what you've been doing, but then what you want to be doing moving forward. Um, so it really depends upon the role it's always worth tailoring it. Um, you don't want to have every single, you know, language on there from when you were doing COBOL development 20 years ago, like my dad through to, you know, the, the more Golang and, and Rust. We we don't want to see that the the cobalt adds no value. And again, it's it's looking at your C V to think, where's the value add? How can I make sure that ultimately the recruiter, who will probably be the person reviewing your C V ninety nine percent of the time, has that desire to give you a call. Uh, and that's where you can go into into more depth. And I think there's still a lot of learning to be done from the recruitment side as to what to look for when it comes to a CV. Um, and trying to connect, you know, a great recruiter is able to connect dots that aren't potentially there on the CV just through experience by sitting in on interviews and thinking, "Well, if you've used this, the likelihood is you've used that. So I'll give you a call benefit of the doubt," and just be open with that. And the candidate can say, "Yes, I've used it, no, I've not used it, and then depend upon. Which answer it is, you can either say, well, okay, it's it's not going to be right or great thought that may be the case. So it's always for me about tailoring it to the the company. Um, And then, you know, something a lot of job specs will have is a a list of 15 things to say, you know, you must have used this. You must have used that. If you want, add them onto your CV. If the recruiter's keyword search, it's going to be valuable and hopefully help you.
0: Uh, So you you mentioned it there uh, and, um, that, that is going to be my next question uh, about that first call. Like, you know, when, when we get you on the phone, how do we impress you? How do we get through you to the next stage?
1: So I, I think what, what's key here is, and again, it, it's from both sides. I think for any process to be successful, you need both sides to go in with as much transparency and honesty as, as possible. If we say to you, have you used X and you say, yes. And then we take you through to interview we'll find out very quickly whether you've used x or not ultimately Um, and it is just being very clear and honest as to the reasons why you're looking to leave that organization again the job of in particular, the internal recruiter isn't to qualify everyone into the process we don't want that you know we do want to qualify people out so if you turn around and say you know, being a senior engineer for ten years, really want to move into a team lead role. Want to get into, you know, people management. We can very quickly turn around and say this isn't actually the right role for you. You know, there's there's no people management. That's probably not on the on, on the radar for the next eighteen months to two years. If if a team lead role, you know, pops up, we'll loop back around and have a conversation. So it's it's trying to relate your experience to what that organization is looking for. But then it's just being very clear and transparent as to what you, as a candidate, actually want, especially when it comes to to permanent. Uh, for me, there's a few sort of key milestones in most people's life. You know, it's it's moving house or what's the sort of stressful pieces. It's it's moving house. Um, you know, having children, getting dogs is particularly stressful as I realised last year. But moving jobs is is very stressful. So you want to make sure that as a candidate, you're going to be happy because most when moving perm roles, you don't want to move every six months. Um, You don't want to keep kissing lots of frogs until you find that dream role. Sometimes it's worth not jumping on the first opportunity that presents itself and really trying to figure out whether this role is right for you. And again, the the recruiter should help you with that. We shouldn't paint everything as the perfect, um, you know, happy path. We should say, hey, this is who we are, this is how we work, how does this, this is aligned to what you're currently doing, but also what you want to be doing moving forward. And most candidates from my side really uh, respect that honesty, and most recruiters will as well. Um, hiring someone into the wrong role, it just causes us more issues and headaches further down the line. So we'd rather not hire someone. And likewise, I'm sure you know I wouldn't want to join the wrong company and then have to search for a job another six months, 12 months later, because it didn't work out um, no about how transparent you are, that can happen. It's just part of life. You know, thing, you know you, you'll you make the wrong decision at, at some point, but it's that honesty, transparency, relating your current experience, but also your desires moving forward into that particular position. And it's having that agreement of whether things are, whether it's the right opportunity and right company, ultimately
0: all right brilliant nick before i let you go i need the joke of the show
1: yeah like i said i did have to ask the team yesterday for a joke so i can't take full, full credit for this um but i've got okay. a, a great joke about a fence i won't tell you it though because you'll never get over it hey nice one i've never heard that yeah. one before <laughs> no, no, love, to be honest that's brilliant. why oh, i better use that one
0: and that's all folks thanks a lot for tuning in For more info, for questions, comments, or feedback, please head on over to aheadintech.com and don't forget to subscribe.